Hey, thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We are MVF Church based out of Heber City, Utah. If you'd like to check out the live recording of this teaching, you can find that at mvfchurch.com. We're glad that you've joined us today, so let's get into the teaching. I'm really excited to have Justin uh, share with us today. Justin was up with us. He was our speaker at the men's retreat. And if Justin was preaching last year, I would have probably introduced him as my brother's pastor. Uh, This year, I feel like I have the honor of introducing Justin as a friend. Um, He and I have gotten to build a little bit of a friendship. I mean, we went and saw Kid Rock together. That's, you know, good. Yeah. (laughs) uh, um, You know, we've hung out quite a a few times. My brother and he are really close. And so we've gotten to know each other. So I have really been honored to get to know Justin. He has a heart for the Lord, a spirit to encourage and uplift people, and yet draw them to Jesus. So would you guys give it up? for Justin. He's going to share with us. Thank you, MVF Church. Uh, it doesn't feel like it yet, but for me, it feels like family. And I say that because getting to know your church, I've uh, been stalking you from a distance. <laughs> Again, uh, Shane's brother, Kyle, he's a part of our church and uh, Freedom Point Covenant Church in Loomis, California. You've never heard of Loomis, and that's okay. Small town just north of Sacramento. And you need to know Kyle, one of my favorite people. He has that Finley blood in him. The first time I met him, he came to our church. We were a church plant. My wife and I planted a church just Oh, just under two years ago. And if you want to plant a church, plant it in a pandemic, all right? (laughs) There's never any issues, totally calm, easy. It just just, just happens, right? We planted in the pandemic because God told us to. And one of our early service, this man walks in, Kyle Finley, and he's just smiling the entire time during the service. And he just walks up to me and he said, we've been praying for a church right here. I want to let you know we've been attending, you know, another church off and on for past decade. But when I was sitting here, the Lord said, we're all in. And I said, do you even know my last name yet? <laughs> you don't know anything about us. You sat through one service. And mind you, we were not anything showy or glamorous or anything just appealing to the eye or the ear. And he said, nope, I want to be obedient to God. And I said, you're my guy. And so getting to know him and walking with him and then him inviting me to the men's retreat last year and getting to know Shane, you guys have a beautiful community. So thank you for having me out. And we actually brought some of our men out as well to join in. And it was such a sweet time for our guys to get to know the men of Mountain View and really to see, hey, this is what we're chasing after. We're just a baby church. We have so much to glean, so much to learn. And so let's see what they're charging after and what they're looking for and what's their call and how does that align with us and what can we do to challenge the men back home. So a little bit about me. My wife and I are co-lead pastors of our church um, in California. And again, church plant. We've been in ministry for the past, uh, for me, about 20 years. My wife and I are the same. We actually met both at separate uh, youth pastors from different churches. And when we met, it was like that, well, do I go to your church or do you go to my church? And (laughs) We did it like any strong Christian should. We prayed first, and then rock, paper, scissors. And so <laughs> got to go with rock, and that's what I did, and so she came with me. <laughs> and after youth ministry, we really felt this strong calling to say, okay, we need to start a church. And we started a church, and we didn't start a church. Sometimes people can start a church, um, hopefully it's always because the Lord called them to. 
But sometimes people will start a church for a different variety of motivations. There's no church in the area. Maybe some other churches, they're, gosh, they're, they're not teaching it the right way, or, man, they're, they're missing the mark, or this is the need of the community. But when we planted, we were very confused. Because we said, Lord, why do you want us to plant a church? There's so many beautiful churches, really close proximity, and they're, they're teaching your word, and they're, they're, it seems like they're investing. What, why, Lord, would you call us to plant? And the Lord made it clear. He said, I have two marching orders for you. Your mission is to raise up the next generation. And so for us, we actually launched our church in one town. It's only 7,000 people. And we said, we're only going to be about one high school. And there's close high schools nearby. In fact, gosh, there's like 20 high schools within 10 miles, it feels like, or just around us. But the Lord said, no, you're just going to invest in this one high school. And you're going to just to dive in deep, and you're going to be a light in that community because you're going to raise up that next generation. And so much so that our first, uh, our youth group was one girl. And I looked at her and I said, Livy, we got a lot of work to do. <laughs> she started inviting her friends and we went from uh, the first four months to having 20, 30, 40 students to one year in our youth ministry, 100 high school students. We have over 100 high school students that meet weekly, right? And again, I tell you that it wasn't strategy. It wasn't being creative. It wasn't like how we're going to plan this out. It wasn't the Little Caesars pizza, right? It was for us. It was just saying, Lord, we just want to be obedient. And so he has this direct calling because we were just leaning into that. But then the second one is one I want to talk to you guys about this morning. The second one that we were incredibly passionate about, that the Lord told us that we were to dive into, is to invest and empower and strengthen marriages. It's been a huge calling in our life. And when we heard that, we got, you know, we, we, we got a little excited because my wife and I were both passionate about marriage. A little bit about our backstory. We come from families of brokenness. Uh, if you want to compare stories, like, like almost like your traumas is playing cards, you know, like we have a stacked deck, right? We, we have so much in our past that we come from. In fact, when my wife and I met and we sat with our premarital counselor, he heard both our stories and he said, oh my goodness. Like, it's not just a little bit of like carry-on baggage. You guys are bringing the whole luggage with you, right? Just the past hurts. And so our story, my parents, both my parents uh, were on their third marriage. And my dad actually passed away when I was three years old. He was alcoholic and great man, but just couldn't get himself clean. My wife's uh, parents, both of them are on their third marriage and beyond. And we look at just abuse from step-parents. We look at trauma from my wife and her, and her mom having to, when she was a little girl, having to stay the night at the fire station just to, accept, just to escape to some safety, right? Just some deep hurts and wounds. And so when we met, when we got married, the one thing we said is we said, divorce is off the table, right? We are not flirting with that. We're not engaging in that. That word does not exist with us. We are going to, with Jesus, and because of Jesus, we are going to break that chain. We're going to break that cycle, yeah? And we're so passionate about it, and we want to see. And so when we started chasing after this, we realized looking around, there are so many couples around us, our age and, and just above us, who's seen, maybe they didn't have the same story, but they, they've kind of settled in 
to living that comfortable life. When I was with the men this weekend, we talked about the heart of a warrior. And we said, are you comfortable and complacent? Or are you taking the command of Joshua to be strong and courageous and chased after and invest and be intentional on what God has called you to be? And we realize there's so many marriages, they've just started off with high expectations. They started off so much passionate love. But then they, something happens shortly after where they just got super comfortable taking each other for granted. Man, not be so. And so for us, it's like, what can we do to challenge each other, to encourage each other, to look and say, we want to have the best marriage in this entire community. Like, I challenge you. Let's go. Gauntlet thrown. Can you have a better marriage than us? Right? Let's get a little competitive here. And let's see what the Bible has to say and what's the purpose of marriage is and what's the priority. What's the purpose and the priority? Let's go ahead and turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 5. Oftentimes, a little warning, two caveats before we begin. The scripture we're about to read has been misused, has been used to um, bring so much hurt in people's lives. So if you wince when we're reading it, don't worry, we're going to unpack those. And also, another word, if you're sitting there right now and you're saying, oh, darn, I wish... They're talking about anything else than marriage, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a high school student or um, I'm, I'm single. Like, oh, obviously, this is not for me. I picked the wrong Sunday. No, you did not. So if there is a chance for you to be married one day, start to thinking about the type of spouse that you are looking for, the type of spouse you want to be. But then also, it says in 1 Corinthians, God calls us and he says, to you, those you who are unmarried... Paul radically challenges us in our way of thinking, saying that's a good thing. You don't have to seek to be married, right? There is an advantage there where you have this connection with the Lord because of what Christ did on the cross. That expression of love is available to all of us. And see, Lord, he, he uses marriage as this metaphor to bring us to the people he created us to be, but that's not the only way. So, in fact, if you're sitting here and you're single and you're thinking, I don't even know if I'll ever get married, that's okay. So, as we read this, think about your relationship with the Lord and think about how you're drawing closer to him and how you're abiding with him. And for the rest of us, let's get deep. Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Remember this one. Remember, it starts in 21, gentlemen, and this does not start in verse 22. <laughs> because 22 says, Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as the Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing and water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for their body, just as Christ does for the church, for we are members of his body. 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you may also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Talking to this boy about marriage, and we looked at the two uh, purpose and priority. I love in there when Paul says it's a mystery. It's definitely a mystery. One of the things I'll say, I, one of my favorite things, I've got to be taking part in close to, I've, I did a little count the other day, just under 75 marriages that I've got to either officiate, I've gotten to um, uh, be the best man, or I've gotten to DJ. <laughs> you want, you want D, uh, DJ JT at your wedding, all right? It's pretty fun when you get to officiate a wedding and then get to play DJ afterwards, right? I love marriages, and I never decline because it's such a beautiful union of two people standing in front of the Lord and making their vows and promises to completely lay down their life with one another. One thing I always say is I say, if you're doing marriage right, then today, your wedding day, if you're doing it right, should be the day that you love each other the least, right? Think about that. If you're doing it right, your wedding day should be the day you love each other the least. And then we get into what marriage is. And you see, marriage, unlike, there's no other word to describe it. And actually, in Scripture, it uses this word, and it seems archaic and old, that word covenant. The word covenant. And there's nothing like it in our English language because it's more than just a promise or a vow. But the covenant is literally for us. It's laying down your life. It's saying, I am going to empty myself. It is no longer about me. I'm fully committed to the other. When you make a covenant, you'd say, if anything, if I were to break my promise, break my vow to you, may I be slaughtered, right? They would even cut animals in half and lay them along in the Old Testament. They'd walk through it together as a promise to each other. We made a covenant. There's nothing that'll break this bond. And the covenant in marriage is what it's saying. It's saying that I no longer live for me. I'm living for the other. And so it's how do I not, how do I get my needs met? How do I make myself happy? The Lord is saying, no, it's not about you. You're there for the other. And you maybe heard the expression before, marriage is not there to make you happy, but to make you holy. Right? That's true. But I also think it diminishes the joy that happens. There is joy and takes place when we serve and then when we sacrifice and then when we love the other and when we submit to each other. So the purpose of marriage for us, really quick, here's a fun statistic for you. You've probably heard it say, in the United States, roughly how many marriages end in divorce? About 50, depends on what statistic you have. The number's a little bit skewed, by the way. The number is actually for those who get divorced once, they're more likely to get divorced again, right? So if um, you're looking at just numbers that for, you know, first-time divorce, yeah, it's, it's, it's still definitely higher than it should be. Now, the, what is the number, if you've read the statistics, of divorce in the church? Those who call themselves Christians. It's about the same, okay? Except there is an asterisk. You see, for those who devote themselves to praying together, to reading Scripture, like abiding in His Word, and those who are attending 
in their local community, attending church. When you do those three things, the divorce rate is one out of 400. Think about that. You talk about bulletproofing your marriage, right? Those, that's, a huge, that's a huge win right there. You think about those who are saying, because what are you really doing when you're doing those practices? You are submitting. You're saying, no, I'm going to go and lay down my life. This isn't about me. It's a posture you have with the Lord, and it's, it's that command from Ephesians 5, submit to one another as you submit to Christ. You see, the call is the same for both the husband and the wife. We are called to submit. When I talked about that verse being misused, so many times women have heard it as, ah, you got to submit to your husbands, which means in their minds, you have to do everything I say. Never challenge me. Never press against. Stay in your lane. I have lordship over you, right? Well, the reason that we challenge that is because it says first, submit to one another. Meaning there is a call for both parties to submit, right? And then it also calls men to lay down your lives and to serve and love your wife like Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? He died for her. So the way I see it, I am the spiritual leader in our household. My wife and I, you maybe heard, we're co-lead pastors. However, at home, for us, I am the spiritual leader. I'm the one who will say, like, hey, I feel like the Lord is calling us in these ways. I'm the one to initiate prayer. But you know what I take that leadership as? I'm the one to lay down first. I hold the door open, right? When it's time to upgrade our phones, my wife, she gets the upgrade, right? When it's ever a time for me to put down and lay down my needs first, I choose her. Because my job is I want to make sure that his call is to leave her blameless, without blemish, to let her be radiant in front of God. And so for gentlemen, are you loving your wives the way that Jesus loves the church? See, the call is difficult. Inside, our initial heart is self-serving. Look out for number one. And we put walls up around our heart to be protected, even in marriage, even with great intentions, even when the words come out of your mouth and you say promises, your heart is saying, I didn't agree to that. That might be something the brain's saying, but that, nope, nope. We need to protect. So you don't know what I've been through. You don't know where I've gone. You don't know the struggle. And so to let those walls come down in marriage, for a covenant to happen, for the two to become one, that's tough. It goes all the way back to the garden. With that being the purpose of marriage, with it being the two becoming one, you see that Adam was created and the Lord said everything was good, but he said it wasn't good because Adam was alone. And so therefore, he created woman. And the word you see in there is helpmate or helper. It's not servant. The translation has really been pulled into. It would be a helper as in the same word that they would use in the Aramaic to describe like a physician, right? You wouldn't think of your doctor, that helper, as your servant, right? Just you imagine walking in the doctor like, hey, get over here. Take care of me, right? No, the doctor's there because he's providing a service. He's taking care of you. And actually, the word's been deeper even translated to be friend, in the deepest meaning, friend. And so the Lord said, no, I don't want just the singular, isolated being made in our image. But there shall be two, and they shall be come together and become one. 
And it's a great mystery. See, that becoming one, you ever wonder why? You see so many marriages where the opposite attracts. You marry someone completely opposite of you. I am, if you want to look at personality, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. I have so much FOMO. I am just, I want to be, you know, just wherever the party is, I want to be there. I'm very outgoing, very loud, um, completely scattered, right? Uh, And my wife is the complete opposite. She is organized, detail-oriented, responsible, right? She gets mad at me when we're driving through, like, the Target, and there's those stop signs in there, and I just blow through them. And I said, I was like, I don't know what they're there for, but we don't, have to, you know, don't it's not the real road. She's like, no, you have to follow every rule, you know? And I remember it was like year one in marriage, and I was thinking, why, why did I marry the, she's my complete opposite. We aren't on the same page in thought at all. Like, what happened there? Did, I, did we just get duped? Did we make a mistake? And the Lord said, no, I designed it this way. Because in the opposite, in that mystery, the two becoming one, how much you get to compliment one another. See, do you look at your spouse and the things that they're not? Do you always criticize and say, gosh, if they were just like me, we'd be so much better? Or do you see it as a gift? And you see that purpose of marriage is God's taking two opposites in two different ways and bringing it together to turn you into something completely different. Probably because you're reluctant to let go of your old self. The Lord wants to make you something different. And he's using marriage to kill the old and bring up something new. And that's why you will leave your parents, and it's the number one relationship. That's why your spouse will be your best friend, needs to be your best friend, because you are to sharpen each other. For us, the female speaker in Song of Songs, she echoes Adam when she says, This is my lover. This is my friend. Is your spouse your best friend? Is it the person you confide in? Is the person that knows you better than anybody else? Is the person that you invest in? And for us, that purpose moves us to priority. Is your spouse your number one priority? What I mean by that is you you look at it as your first ministry. You hear so many times where, especially in pastors, there's infidelity or adultery that happens, and maybe you can see there's a little stigma with pastor's kids, right? Oh, PK, they're going to be crazy. Oftentimes you'll find there's even in ministry men and women who forget their priorities. So for us, can you make your spouse your first priority to chase after your spouse and say, no, I'm going to invest in this relationship more than anything else? Tim Keller said, your marriage must be more important to you than anything else. No other human being should get more of your love, your energy, industry, and commitment than your spouse. God asked the man, leave his father and mother, as powerful that relationship may have been, to forge a new union that must be even more important and powerful force in his life. So how do you make your spouse a priority? For husbands, it's found in 1 Peter chapter 3. Be considerate your wives. You know that word considerate when you break it down? When you break it down in the Hebrew, it actually means be a student. Consider her ways. Study her. Right? Be so infatuated with her that you know everything about her. You always should be asking questions. Every guy in here is like, oh, don't say that. <laughs> no, it's true. 
to be invested in your wife, to be so curious of her, to adore her in such a way that you want to know every thought. A story that always stuck with me is that there was a pastor who spoke at a marriage retreat, and there was a couple in their um, early 70s that was sitting in the front row, and at the end of the marriage retreat, they were just facing each other in chairs, holding hands, and just talking through. They still had more to learn from each other. They still were curious. Do you want to know your spouse the way? Or do you believe the lie? Ah, we've been married X amount of years. I already know what I need to know. I already know what they're going to think. And you automatically dismiss any chance to get to know them deeper. As we come and we look in that, it's actually in that priority towards the ends. And for us, as you can tell, I'm really passionate about marriage. There's so much we can go on, but I wanted to leave you with this, and I also have a challenge, so you're not getting off the hook today. But as we look into what it means to make your spouse a priority, for us, that last line in Ephesians 5, wives, love your husbands, and, and or sorry, li- wives, respect your husbands, and husbands, what love your wives. What I realized from Heather and I in our trauma is we've had so many walls built up even though I really desired her respect, I thought I could actually take care of it on my own. I don't need your respect. I'm going to be filling my own cup. And for her, the same, because of the trauma she had. No, don't worry about it. I don't need your love. I'm actually going to just have self-love, and I'm going to be I'm good on my own. Those walls that build up, they neglect the calling of the two become together. You see, for, for wives, you are to fill your husband's respect cup up. No other person should respect your husband more than you do. And for husbands, no other person should love their, your wife the way you do. But so often we say, well, I'll respect and love them when they do something to deserve it. Right? Or, I told her I love you when we first got married, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. Right? No. We have to be reminded of it every single day. Practices that my wife and I put into place. You do not have to take these. This is not a part of the challenge. But when you talk about bulletproofing your marriage, yes, praying together is a part of it. We pray together every morning, meaning we actually pray out loud and we ask the Lord. We pray against, actually recently, this last month we've been challenged to pray against three, pray for three things in our marriage. Pray for desire, continued desire for one another to pray for delight, and to pray against distractions. Anything that keeps our eyes off each other. We also ask each other for forgiveness every night. Before we go to bed, the last thing we say, we'll say, will you forgive me? And the answer is always yes. Because we forgive the way the Lord forgives us. But my wife is really good about saying, for what? <laughs> she wants to hear me list it out. That's okay. But in that practice, every day, if there's any offenses we had, you know what's really cool? Our daughters, our seven-year-old and our nine-year-old picked up on it. So now I got my seven-year-old looking at me and saying, Dad, do you forgive me? Just out of the blue, right? I said, for what, sweetie? She's like, if I did anything to hurt your feelings or anything to offend you. Do you see what's happening in marriage? When the two become one and you chase after it and you submit to one another, you're leaving a legacy that's being passed on because people are watching Of course, the Lord would call us to invest in the next generation of youth, but he doesn't want us to do it if our marriages are just falling apart. The youth are looking to us and they're saying, what do you have to offer? 
Who is this God you're serving, and how can I see it play out here right now? Let me show you how much God loves you by showing how incredible marriage is, the gift that marriage is. And then finally for us, we've been becoming fluent in multiple languages. What I mean by that is you know about the five love languages, correct? The way we experience love. People may know their own love languages. While mine's physical touch or mine's words of affirmation. Mine's gifts, acts of service, or for quality time. But you know what happens in marriages? They get sloppy, they get lazy when you just focus on one or two of them. Well, I'm going to love you the way you want to be loved. You love me the way I'm going to be loved. And let's just neglect the others. They're just kind of throw them away. No. Even the ones for you and your spouse that you could care less about, you still need to become fluent in them. My wife and I could care less about gifts. We're not big gift givers. In fact, our first couple Christmases, we didn't even do gifts. And there was something missing in that. It was like, you know what? We're, we're neglecting an expression of love that the Lord wants to show to us. And so now we've learned how to be great gift givers to each other. And we've learned, we've actually enjoyed that. Are you willing to take these steps in your marriage? So here's my challenge for you as we close. And this is going to be a difficult challenge. And it's going to be an incredibly challenging, uh, difficult challenge to actually implement. The first part is actually thinking of it and presenting it to your spouse. The next part is actually following through. If you want to write this down in your notes, I'm going to ask each person here to write down 10 10 things, 10 ways in detail that you would love to be loved by your spouse. And I don't, don't make it vague, right? Because vague, then, then there's no way to measure it. There's no, way to, there's no accountability when it's vague. Like if you're to say more touch, that's, that's vague. But if you might make it personal saying, I would love a 30-second hug before I leave every single day, right? Or, I would love one love letter once a month. I would love for us to go on a weekly date night. You write these expressions. Write your top ten. Okay? How you feel loved by yourself. How you want to be loved by your spouse. And then, what I want you to do is I want you to exchange those lists after you're done. And then when you're a spouse and you're reading those 10, you just got a glimpse and a view in their hearts of where they feel connected to you, where they want to be lifted up, whereas just Christ loves his church, wants to bring her uh, blameless. And then I want you to circle your top three, your three where you're like, I can do these. I'm going to chase after it. In fact, I'm going to do it this week or this month. And then you have the list, they're on your nightstands, they're reminders to you of how you are to submit to each other, to love one another, and to, for both of you, submit to Christ and follow his way so that we can present ourselves holy and blameless in front of the Lord. Because all of this is a metaphor. It's a metaphor of God's love for his church, the church bringing his bride and how much, how crazy he is about her and how much he's pursuing her. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for the gift of marriage. Thank you, Lord. Even coming to church on Sunday, it's an act of intimacy where we sing these songs to you. We're able to praise your name. Lord, and for us, the gift of marriage to not leave us 
in our own selfish state. But the reminder that we're here to serve. We're here to give. We're here to, to provide for something other than ourselves. So, Lord, we know in the supernatural act, we're going to need all the help we can get. So be with us. May we be strong and courageous to chase after marriage the way that you've designed it to be. A covenant, a promise. To fully be committed to one another. And may this challenge be one of many challenges we live in every day because we want to have the best marriage out there. If you enjoyed this teaching, we would love to have you join us for a live gathering. We are located at 271 North, 600 West in Heber City, Utah. If you need more information about us, including our gathering times or previous teachings, you can find all that at mvfchurch.com. And make sure you follow us on social media too. See you next time.